بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم إن الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونعوذ بالله من شرور أنفسنا وسيئات أعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له وأشهد أن لا إله إلا الله وحده لا شريك له وأشهد أن محمدا عبده ورسوله أما بعد Tonight then insha'Allah ta'ala we're going to start the new series of lessons and that is going to be the tafsir of the Qur'an and in particular it is going to be juz amma everybody has memorized the small surahs at the end of the Qur'an, the small chapters at the end, many people have memorized them, many of the children have memorized them, so it's important to understand their meanings, that's where we'll begin with, and it is going to be with the explanation of al-Shaykh al-Uthaymeen rahimahullah ta'ala, it is a very simple explanation easy to understand and you know that there are different levels of explanation or different levels of tafsir if you go to some of the bigger books of tafsir the tafsir of Ibn Kathir the tafsir of Al-Qurtubi and at the head of them all tafsir Ibn Jarir tafsir Al-Tabari those kinds of books of tafsir are very detailed and under every ayah or most ayat you will have a lot of information a lot of riwayat narrations ahadith many different aspects of the explanation are mentioned in those types of tafsir and then you have the easier types the easier types of tafsir like for example the tafsir of al-allama sa'di rahimahullah ta'ala that is known as a tafsir ijmali it is a broad and generalized tafsir because there are different types of tafsir as well and one of the types of tafsir is what they call the tafsir ijmali and that is a tafsir where the mufassir is giving you an overview of the ayat. What do they generally mean? What are the main benefits to be taken from them? What is the overall meaning of them? That is the general overall tafsir of the Quran known as the tafsir ijmali and the tafsir of a Sheikh Abdurrahman Sa'di rahimahullah ta'ala is of that type. It is a tafsir ijmali and you could say that the tafsir of a Shaykh al-Ithaymeen, it is similar in some regards. It gives you the overview and the general meaning of each surah. It explains some of the words in each surah, especially some of the more complicated words, their meanings, their explanations, and gives you some of the general rulings of every surah of every ayah so it is a reasonably easy tafsir to understand 
And it is of a good level for people to begin with and to generally gain some insight into the speech of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And the Shaykh al-Ithameen, he has tafsir of many other parts of the Qur'an, many other chapters of the Qur'an, multiple volumes now printed of his uh, tafsir, and the rest of it you'll find on audio cassettes also. So here we're going to do the tafsir of Juz'amma of al-Shaykh al-Ithameen, rahimahullah ta'ala. And we're going to begin from the end, from Juz'amma, from the end, from Qul A'udhu Bi Rabbin Nas, and then work our way back to the beginning of Juz'amma. So the first chapter we are going to do is Suratun Nas, where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said, Qul A'udhu Bi Rabbin Nas, Malikinnas, Ilahinnas, Min Sharil Waswasil Khannas, Aladi Waswisu fi Sudurinnas, Min al Jinnati Wannas. In the English of that, Pul Aruzu bi Rabbinnas, say, I seek refuge. With Allah, the Lord of mankind, Malikin Nas, the King of mankind, Ilahin Nas, the Ilah, the one to be worshipped for mankind, Min Sharil Waswasil Khannas, from the evil of the whisperer, meaning the shaitan who whispers into the hearts of men, who withdraws from his whisperings in one's heart after one remembers Allah. <laughs> who whispers in the breasts of mankind, <laughs> of jinn and men. The English will use is the English from the explain or the uh, uh, translation of the meanings of Muhsin Khan and Taqiyuddin al-Hilali, the noble Quran, English translations of the meanings and commentary. This is widespread, available everywhere, and it is the most accurate version you can use. So here in Surah An-Nas, it begins by saying قُلْ أَعُوذُ بِرَبِّ النَّاسِ When Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions in the Qur'an قُلْ Like here قُلْ أَعُوذُ بِرَبِّ النَّاسِ And in other chapters قُلْ أَعُوذُ بِرَبِّ الْفَلَقِ قُلْ هُوَ اللَّهُ أَحَدُ When Allah says قُلْ who is Allah addressing? Al-Khitab liman? Qul. Who is Allah talking to? To the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Allah is addressing the messenger. Addressing the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Telling him, say. Meaning say, O messenger. Qul. 
Say, O Messenger, that does not mean that this surah and the meanings of this surah are specific to the Prophet It doesn't mean that they are specific to him and they don't apply to us. There are many parts in the Quran where Allah addresses the Messenger and tells him things. And those affairs, even though they are specifically addressed to the Messenger at the time of the revelation, they are otherwise general to all of the Ummah. So, قُلْ أَعُوذُ بِرَبِّ النَّاسِ Say that I seek refuge. أَعُوذُ بِرَبِّ النَّاسِ أَعُوذُ الْإِسْتِعَاذَةِ It is that you seek refuge and protection in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. When you say, أَعُوذُ بِاللَّهِ مِنَ الشَّيْطَانِ الرَّجِيمِ what does that mean in English, anyone? When you say, A'udhu Billahi Minash Shaitanir Rajeem. I seek refuge in Allah from the Shaitan. So you're asking Allah to protect you from the Shaitan and the whisperings of the Shaitan. You are asking Allah for protection. You are resorting to Allah seeking help and assistance and aid and protection and refuge in Allah. That is al-isti'adah. That is what you're saying here. Say that I seek refuge. I seek protection. In the Lord of mankind. Because you do not seek protection from anyone else besides Allah, you seek that protection in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and you are not seeking it from others besides Allah. قُلْ أَعُوذُ بِرَبِّ النَّاسِ As Shaykh Al-Thaymeen, he says, وَهُوَ اللَّهُ عِزَّ وَجَلْ وَهُوَ رَبُّ النَّاسِ وَغَيْرِهِمْ رَبُّ النَّاسِ وَرَبُّ الْمَلَائِكَةِ وَرَبُّ الْجِنِّ وَرَبُّ السَّمَاوَاتِ وَرَبُّ الْأَرْضِ ورب الشمس ورب القمر ورب كل شيء لكن للمناسبة خص الناس So Allah سبحانه وتعالى is the Lord of just mankind or of everything in creation Everything in creation Allah is the Lord of the angels and the Lord of the jinn and the Lord of the heavens and the Lord of the earth and the Lord of the sun and the Lord of the moon and the Lord of everything. So if Allah is the Lord of everything, then why is it so specific in this surah and people are mentioned? قُلْ أَعُوذُ why specifically I seek refuge in Allah, in the Lord of mankind? Because all of these affairs here in this surah are about... Yeah, what is it? Why is it about the Lord of mankind instead of the Lord of all of creation? Maybe. But another reason here is because this chapter is about mankind that you are seeking refuge 
in Allah from the shaitan, it is about mankind. The chapter, the topic is about mankind. How about you seeking refuge in Allah from the shayateen? So due to that reason, that example was given by Nas in the Lord of mankind. And that emphasizes also the rububiyyah of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. When we learn Tawheed, when we learn about Tawheed, we know that there are different aspects of Tawheed. One of those parts of Tawheed is the Tawheed of Ar-Rububiyyah. The Tawheed of the Lordship of Allah. Another part is the Tawheed of Al-Uluhiyyah. The Tawheed regarding the worship of Allah. And another part is the Tawheed of Al-Asma' Wa-Sifat. The names and attributes of Allah. If somebody says to you, these categories, these aqsam, Tawheed, Ar-Rububiyyah, Wal-Uluhiyyah, Wal-Asma' Wal-Sifat, if they say to you, what is your evidence that Tawheed is these different parts? If they say to you, what is your evidence that Tawheed is all of these different parts you're talking about? Ar-Rububiyyah, Wal-Uluhiyyah, Wal-Asma' Wal-Sifat. What is your evidence? The easiest way or one of the easiest ways to remember the evidence is that in the Mus'haf, the first chapter is Al-Fatiha and the last one is An-Nas and both of those, Al-Fatiha and An-Nas, have the evidence that Tawheed is those parts. In Al-Fatiha, because Allah says, Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen. Rabbul Alameen, the Lord of all of creation. That is indicating the Rububiyyah, the Lordship of Allah. That He is the Lord of all of mankind. Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen. Ar-Rahman, Ar-Rahim. They are from Al-Asma' wa Sifat. So that is there too. And then later on when you say, إِيَّاكَ نَعْبُدُ وَإِيَّاكَ نَسْتَعِينَ الْأُلُوهِيَّةِ So Al-Fatiha, within it is the Dalalah, عَلَى هَذِهِ الْأَقْصَى The evidence is there upon these categorizations in Al-Fatiha, the beginning of the Mus'haf. Then at the end of the Mus'haf, Surah Al-Nas, you will find the evidence also upon those three categories. And this first ayah is the first part of the evidence. Because Allah says, قُلْ أَعُوذُ بِرَبِّ النَّاسِ Say that I seek refuge in Allah, the Lord of mankind. That is an indication of Ar-Rububiyyah. Who can tell us what is Ar-Rububiyyah? So everybody remembers what is the rububiyyah of Allah? 
What is the definition, the ta'rif? Hmm. The Lordship of Allah, but what does that mean? Any more details? That's also correct. Anything else? Singling out Allah in His actions. What are the actions that only Allah can do? For example, the creation of the heavens and the earth. Al-Khalq. And for example, giving life and death. And for example, sending down the rain. All of these are actions that only Allah can do. So you single out Allah with those actions and you reject that anyone else can do them. Can anyone else bring people to life and make them die except Allah? Nobody else. Can anybody else bring down the rain except Allah? Nobody can. Does anybody else control all of this universe except Allah? No one else. So that is known as Ar-Rububiyyah. And this first ayah indicates that. قُلْ أَعُوذُ بِرَبِّ النَّاسِ Say that I seek refuge in the Lord, the Rabb of all of mankind. And then, مَلِكِ النَّاسِ The King of all of mankind. مَلِكِ النَّاسِ الملك الذي له السلطة العليا في الناس والتصرف الكامل هو الله عز وجل the king of all of mankind meaning the one who has the absolute authority upon all of mankind and has the absolute and complete control over all of mankind and here you could say this ayah, Malikin Nas, is an evidence for which category of Tawheed possibly you can say? Al-Asma'u wa Sifat. Because you can say Malik is from the names of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. We know that Allah has many different names. Ar-Rahman, Ar-Rahim, Al-Ghafoor, all of those names. You hear people, their names are Abdul Rahman, Abdul Rahim, Abdul Ghafoor. Every time you hear those names, Abd, and then afterwards is one of the names of Allah. So Allah has many names. And this is an example of one of them. So Malikin Nas, you can say, is an evidence for the category of the names and attributes of Allah. Then, Ilahin Nas. The Ilah is the Ma'bud, the one to be worshipped for the people. That is the one that all of mankind, they must direct their worship to Ilahin Nas. The one whom all of mankind must direct their worship to. Ilahin nas ay ma'luhuhum wa ma'buduhum. Fal ma'budu haqqan alladhi 
نعم. So he says, Sheikh Al Uthaymin, that he is ma'luhuhum wa ma'abuduhum. That he is, and these are all the same meanings, the ma'luh and the ma'bud, the one whom all of the people worship. The one whom all of the people worship and their hearts they turn to in worship and, all, and the people they love him and they uh, 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 recognize the greatness of him. That is the ilah from aliha ya'lahu and then you have al-ma'luh abada ya'budu al-ma'bud the one who is worshipped so now this ayah can be an evidence for which type of tawheed al-uluhiyya so you see in the first three ayat you have proven to the one who asks you what is your evidence that tawheed is split up into these categories you can tell him easy answer the beginning of the mushaf and the end and there are many more in between. But an easy reply in Al-Fatiha and in An-Nas. All of the categories are indicated within these ayat. So then, مِن الْخَنَّاسِ From the evil of the whisperer. From the evil of the whisperer. The one who whispers into the breasts of mankind, into the chests of mankind, of jinn and men. here in this section where it says مِن شَرِّ الْوَسْوَاسِ الْخَنَّاسِ الْوَسْوَاسِ قَالَ الْعُلَمَا إِنَّهَا مَصْدَرْ يُرَادُ بِهِ إِسْمَ الْفَاعِلِ أي الموسوس that in this particular ayah it is the masdar that is mentioned but the intent of the ayah the intent is the ismul fa'il, the dua. Because in the Arabic language you can have a masdar, a masdar being a noun that indicates the action of the verb, but without telling you the fa'il or the tense. For those who have been studying. And the fa'il is the person who does the verb he's the one doing it so here even though the masdar is mentioned for those who understand arabic here it is the masdar being mentioned but the fa'il is intended meaning that i seek refuge in allah from the evil of the whisperer the one who whispers not as the masdar would indicate if you translate it directly into english from the evil of the whisperings. You are not seeking refuge from the evil of the whisperings, rather from the evil of the whisperer, the one who whispers. The intent here is the fa'il, the shaitan himself who whispers, rather than the generic masdar of the whisperings. 
So I seek refuge. Al-waswas. Masdar yuradu bihi ism al-fa'il. Ay al-muwaswis. Wal-waswasah. Ma yulqa fil qalb min al-afkar wal-awham wal-takhayyulat allati la haqiqata laha. And what is the meaning of the waswasah? The meaning of these whisperings as we say. The meaning and the intent behind them is that which is cast upon the heart, those thoughts that come to you upon your heart, those thoughts and those certain types of ideas and thoughts that come to you, imaginary things that you think of that are not actually real and they are not actually true. There is no reality and truth to these whisperings, these ideas and these uh, uh, imaginary things that come to you. The shaitan sometimes whispers to you things. And those things that he is whispering to you, are they real? They are not real. So these are the whisperings of the shaitan. Uh, and then it mentions, مِن شَرِّ الْوَسْوَاسِ الْخَنَّاسِ Al-Khannas, this is the one who whispers, that is in reference to the shaitan who whispers, but whispers and then flees, turns away and flees when the remembrance of Allah is done. الذي الخناس الذي يخنس وينهزم ويولي ويدبر عند ذكر الله عز وجل وهو الشيطان ولهذا إذا نودي للصلاة أدبر الشيطان له ضراط حتى لا يسمع يسمع التأذين فإذا قضي النداء أقبل حتى إذا ثوب للصلاة أدبر حتى إذا قضي التثويب أقبل حتى أنني كاريزان حتى يخطر بين المرء ونفسه so this is the shaitan, the one who comes and whispers to a person. But then when the remembrance is done, that shaitan turns his back and flees. So it is like it's mentioned in the sunnah about the one who, uh, the shaitan, he flees when the adhan is called. When the adhan is called, that shaitan runs away. But when the adhan finishes, then he returns. So as not to be there at the time of the adhan, to hear the adhan, he flees and runs away from that. But when the adhan is done, then he comes back. And then when the iqama is done, he flees again. And then after that, when it's finished, he comes back. And a person then when he's praying, he may come back and whisper to an individual, so that in your prayer, you pray the whole of your prayer, but maybe your heart was not focused on the prayer. And that's why a Shaykh Al-Athameen, Rahimallah Ta'ala, he mentioned when you pray, make sure you pray with your body and your heart. Do not only pray with your body. If you come into the jama'ah, 
and you line up in the row and when the Imam says Allahu Akbar you say Allahu Akbar and you go to Rukwa and then the Imam comes up and then you come up and then Allahu Akbar you go down you make all the movements physically your body is praying but internally is your heart praying in unison along with your body or is your heart somewhere else taken away by the whisperings of the shaitan during your prayer so that only your body is praying and your heart is elsewhere so here it mentions this al-khannas what is intended is the shaitan who comes and whispers to a person and causes him to become negligent during the prayer when you are praying he will come and mention before you started that prayer there were certain things that you weren't even thinking about or remembering but when you start your prayer now the shaitan comes and he says think about something something or remember something something and before the prayer you weren't even thinking about those things but in the prayer all of a sudden the shaitan comes and whispers to you what about this and what about that and what did he say and what's he gonna do and you're thinking about all these different things now that you weren't even thinking about before the prayer started but now in the prayer the shaitan has whispered to you and taken away your mind uh, to the extent that a person in the prayer gets so much of those whisperings you forget how many raka'at you've even prayed which raka'ah you are actually on right now uh, أخرجه الإمام أحمد في المسند إذا تغولت الغيلان فبادروا بالأذان It's mentioned in one of the uh, narrations in the Musnad of Imam Ahmed that when these whisperings occur and these imaginations occur to you then hasten to make the Adhan والغيلان هي الشياطين التي تتخيل للمسافر في سفره وكأنها أشياء مهولة أو عدو أو ما أشبه ذلك فإذا كبر إنسان صرفت. This is mentioned in كتاب التوحيد. We're gonna get to it as well in the other class in Manchester. That when a person is traveling, especially in the olden days, or even now in some other areas, when you're in deserted places or in the desert, in the forest, some deserted area, you're traveling along at night. That the shayateen, they used to come and try to scare those travelers by showing them shapes or showing them what looks like spirits or ghosts. As people say these days, they would come and sh uh, appear like that to them to make them think that there's something scary here, there's something going on, there's something happening. They saw something, they saw a shadow, they saw this, they saw that. They would do that. So in the narration it mentions if that occurs to you and you're on your journey, you're traveling and these things and these ideas, they start to occur to you and you see shadows or whatever, the shayateen playing around, then make adhan. Do the adhan because that adhan, it causes them to flee 
from you and to run from you. So then, الَّذِي يُوَسْوِسُ فِي صُدُورِ النَّاسِ The one, the shaytan, who whispers into the hearts of mankind, مِنَ الْجِنَّةِ وَالنَّاسِ أي أن الوساوس تكون من الجن وتكون من بني آدم. That these whisperings you are seeking refuge in Allah from, those evil whisperings can come to you from the shayateen or from humans, from the shayateen of the jinn and from the shayateen of the humans. أما وسوسة الجن فظاهر لأنه يجري من ابن آدم مجرى الدم As for the whisperings of the jinn of the shayateen Then that is clear The shayateen they run through a person Like the blood flows through a person They are uh, intertwined in that way That they flow through a person As the blood flows through a person So they whisper to an individual that is clear, that occurs. أَمَّا وَسْوَسَةُ بَنِي آدَمْ As for the whisperings of mankind, of people. فَمَا أَكْثَرُ فَمَا أَكْثَرُ الَّذِينَ يَأْتُونَ إِلَى الْإِنسَانِ يُوحُونَ إِلَيْهِ بِالشَّرْءِ وَيُزَيِّنُونَهُ فِي قَلْبِهِ حَتَّى يَأْخُذَ هَذَا الْكَلَامِ بِلُبِّهِ وَيَنْصَرِفُ إِلَيْهِ as for the whisperings of people, then how much this occurs, the Shaykh says. How much this occurs, that a person may come and whisper to you affairs, may come and try to convince you of affairs, try to uh, uh, speak to you and put certain ideologies into your mind. How often this occurs that the people, they will come and try to insert their thoughts and their ideologies and their mentality and whatever the affairs are to try and incorporate them into you. And often they will manage with those evil ideas and thoughts of theirs to penetrate into your heart from their whisperings to you constantly. And that's why there are many narrations, many ahadith and athar about your companionship, about who your friends should be. Because if you have the evil friends, the bad friends, then they are going to make you bad. They are going to take you away with their evil actions and evil statements and evil gatherings and you're going to be taken away into that that's why the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam mentioned inna al-mar'a ala deen khalilih falyanzur ahadukum man yukhalil that indeed a person is upon the religion of his companion so look to whom you take as your companion and there is that other famous hadith about the blacksmith and the one who sells the fragrance about the blacksmith who works in the bellows and the uh, uh, fragrance seller the beautiful fragrance the musk 
He sells that. If you go to the blacksmith, where he's working with the iron and burning it and they make it hot and then they can bend it. And you've seen that when they work the blacksmiths. If you go into one of those places, you're going to come out or your clothes going to be white when you come out. Impossible, you'll have smoke on them, fire smell on them, even burnt with the pieces flying around. You will come out damaged. Whereas if you go and sit with the one who is selling the fragrances to people, if you sit with him for a while and you speak with him for a while, then you come afterwards, even if he didn't give you any, just by sitting around him and all his fragrances, you will come out smelling good. So that is the difference between the companion who is upon goodness and a companion who is not upon goodness. The one who is not upon goodness, you will come away from his attributes and his characteristics. But the one who is upon goodness, then you'll come away with his good attributes and characteristics. And that's why some of the scholars, perhaps from the Salaf too, they used to say, try to make your friends people who are, if possible, even more knowledgeable than yourself. They have more ilm than yourself. Because every time you are with those people, you will always learn from them and benefit some good benefit from them. You gain benefits every time you're with those types of people. And inshallah, if you're with people of knowledge like that, who are acting upon their knowledge, they are practicing their knowledge. So then they are praying their five prayers and they are doing the wajibat and they're staying away from the haram. Then you'll do all of those things as well. You'll learn and you'll get encouragement to do that. But if you are with people who do not even pray their five prayers every day and you're with them and the prayer time comes, they're not going to pray. Eventually what's going to happen? You're going to end up missing prayers being with them. You're not going to leave them and say, I have to go and pray. Eventually you become influenced and you take on their character and all of them say, forget it, we'll do this, we'll do that, then we'll go pray. And next thing you know, the time has gone for that prayer. So you must be very careful who your companions are. And especially when it comes to, as Sheikh al mentioned, the diseases in society. The diseases, he mentions like the disease of Al-Ghiba and Al-Namima. If your companions, your friends are people who are always backbiting other people, or they are always spreading stories and tales about other people, and you notice that amongst them constantly when you sit with them or in the groups with them or whatever it is, you notice this is their way constantly talking about their uh, brothers and sisters and community and he said this and he did that and him and him. And they are spreading stories between each other, backbiting each other. Then you know that this is not a good company to be in. And more than that, the deception that occurs from the shaitan, as uh, 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 it was mentioned recently, that sometimes a person may engage in backbiting or storytelling or of this nature, thinking that he is doing something good, thinking that this is required, I need to inform these people about him or him. 
And it may not actually be that circumstance. And he is actually harming the da'wah by doing so. It's one thing warning against a person who requires to be warned against. And the scholars, they warn against the people. Al-Rad al-Mukhalif is something you have to have. There are going to be people who oppose the religion, you refute them and you clarify. But here what is meant is when you have companions who are just backbiting other people, backbiting the members of their community, backbiting storytelling, then that is not a good companionship to be in. And that should not be uh, uh, covered over or remain silent upon. As the scholars, they say, if you are in a gathering and some people are backbiting another individual and you are sat there silently not saying anything, not participating, but not doing anything, just silently sitting there, you are a participant with them in that case. You are a participant with them in that gathering. You see them backbiting your brother and spreading stories of him and doing other things. And you're not participating, you know it's wrong, but you're not saying anything either. And you're not leaving that group either. You're not leaving that companionship either. You're carrying on with it, but silently. Then some of the scholars have mentioned, you are a participant in that. Because all of the rest of them think everybody is with us and agreeing with us on this. That they are backbiting or he is backbiting or he is doing something evil or whatever. Nobody else says anything, then everybody believes they're all good with this. And so you are in essence participating in that evil. So these are types of diseases as Shaykh Al-Ithameen mentioned, particularly those two, Al-Ghiba and Namima. So then at the end, as Shaykh Al-Ithameen says, هذه السور الثلاث we're going to mention the others Al-Ikhras Wal-Falaq والناس كان النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم إذا أوى إلى فراشه نفث في كفه ومسح بها وجهه وما استطاع من بدنه This surah and the other two we're going to do in the future lessons قل أعوذ برب الفلق and قل those three surahs you are supposed to read them before going to sleep and it's mentioned how the Prophet would uh, as it's no, not spit but spittle or, or blow into his uh, 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 palm and then he would wipe over his face and whatever he was able of his body and Rubbama Qara'aha Khalfa Salawat al Khams. And it's mentioned in some narrations he would also recite these three surahs after the end of the obligatory prayers. When you finish the obligatory prayer, give the salams, then there are certain types of adhkar to be done at the end of the prayer, like Ayatul Kursi. And also these three surahs the Shaykh mentioned, maybe that sometimes he would do that as well. فَيَنْبَغِي لِلْإِنسَانِ أَنْ يَتَحَرَّى السُنَّةِ فِي تِلَاوَتِهَا فِي مَوَاضِعِهَا كَمَا وَرَدَ عَنِ النَّبِيِّ صلى الله عليه وسلم And so it is important that a person remembers these suwar, these chapters and recites them at the times that are mentioned in the sunnah. And we're going to get to more details of that when we get to Qul a'udhu bi rabbil falaq 
And when we get to Qul Huwa Allahu Ahad, we'll mention more of the details when we get to those chapters. So in this first one that we've done here, what have we learned? What is the overall meaning of this particular surah? What's the overall meaning of this surah? And what are you asking Allah for in this surah? You're seeking protection in Allah, asking Allah for refuge and protection from the whisperings of the shayateen, whether they are shayateen of the jinn or shayateen of mankind, to seek refuge in Allah from the whisperings of them. And when we get to the other section, قُلْ أَعُوذُ بِرَبِّ الْفَلَقِ then we'll get to more about the magicians and the sorcerers and how you seek refuge in Allah from them, from the sorcerers and the magicians and those types of people. And they can do magic to a person. So that is going to be mentioned in the next one, which will start properly in a separate lesson, which will be قُلْ أَعُوذُ بِرَبِّ الْفَلَقِ Any questions on this one so far today then? Any questions on what we've covered? Iman, it is mentioned in all of the Qur'an generally, throughout the Qur'an. Here, when you say, قُلْ أَعُوذُ بِرَبِّ النَّاسِ then you have Iman in Allah, you have Iman in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and you are seeking refuge in Allah as a consequence. A person who has no Iman in Allah, then he will not return back to Allah. So there is the understanding of Iman within it, no doubt. You are returning back to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in seeking refuge as you return back to Allah with all of your acts of Worship every act of worship that you do. Anything else? So there was a part there where it mentioned about how the shaitan whispers to you in the prayer and maybe a person ends up forgetting how many he's prayed. Which raka'ah are you on? So here the question is, what if you start praying and after your first raka'ah, you do the ruku'ah, you come up, you go down into prostration, second prostration, now you're supposed to Get up and do second rak'ah, but you forget straight away and you sit down to do tashahud. You think already you are on your number two, but you're on your number one yet. So you sit down straight away and you start doing tashahud. But then when you are doing it, then you remember. You're doing it now and then you remember, wait, this is my first rak'ah yet in the middle of it. So then what do you do now? But right now, first, what do you do right now, first thing? Do you finish the tashahud or do you stand up? Stand up. 
you do not finish it there because there is no tashahud there. There's nothing there. That is extra you've added in there. There is no tashahud there. So you cut that and you stand up. Stand up immediately. You're praying something extra in the prayer which is not from the prayer. Then on the second one you're going to now sit down, do the tashahud as usual and then carry on the prayer. Then at the end you will do the prostrations of forgetfulness. But when will you do them? After the tasleem? Because you added something? Yeah. So there is nothing which is like 100% you can say this is the way you have to do it. But from the narrations of the Prophet ﷺ, because there were a few occasions when it happened, when the messenger forgot in the prayer for certain reasons, and then he was reminded. So it happened a couple of occasions, and so we can see how he used to do the prostration of forgetfulness. Some of the scholars, they've mentioned, therefore, if you forget something, or you have uh, uh, missed out something, then in that case, you do the prostrations before the taslim, and if you added something, then you do them after. So that's uh, uh, sort of like an ishtihad of some of the scholars, that's the way you should do it. If somebody didn't do that, and they forgot, am I supposed to do them before or after? And so you just do them after, it doesn't make a difference. The prostration is legitimate and valid. It's not like you have to do it before in this scenario and you have to do it after in that scenario. If somebody forgot or they didn't know and they just did the prostrations whenever they did them before or after, it would still be valid. But these are points the scholars have indicated are better, to, uh, the better way to do it. That's mentioned if you're being distracted in the prayer with whisperings, then you can do the spittle to your left and you can say, A'udhu Billahi Minash Shaitan Ar Rajim. The sujood al sahu in the faridah, definitely there is no doubt about it. In the fard prayer, when you miss something, then you must do that. And in the sunnah prayer, if you missed something, you can do it as well because the, the prostration of forgetfulness, what's the purpose of it? If you missed something, then the prostration makes up for it. And if you added something, then the prostration, it sort of like removes that addition that you've done. The prostration, it wipes out the shortcoming or the addition or the forgetfulness. That is what covers your mistake. So you can do that even in that to cover your mistake. There are examples, we've done them. Uh, if you go to the Kitab al-Salah in the books of Hadith, there are examples of the Prophet وسلم, having uh, forgotten. One time he was praying Dhuhr or Asr, and after the second raka'ah he gave Taslim, forgot the third and fourth raka'ah. And there are some examples like that. Hmm. Anybody else? Mm. 
More warning if the hadith it mentions it to be the fasting of Dawood. To fast in that way is the best that you can do to fast half of the year. Because there was a companion, one of them, he wanted to fast every single day of the year when they came to Aisha radiallahu anha and they heard about the worship, how the Prophet does it. They thought that their worship was nothing compared to the Prophet. So one of them said, I'm not going to sleep at all in the night. The whole night, every night, I'm going to pray Qiyamul Layl. Another one said, La atazawwaj. I'm never going to marry, I'm just going to worship, worship. Another one said that, La uftar, never going to miss a day, fast every single day. But then the Prophet ﷺ explained those affairs, and the best of the fasting, fast one day, miss one day. And that means sometimes you may end up not doing all of the Mondays and Thursdays, but you're doing the one day on, one day, on, one day off, and that is the best form of the fasting. Half of the year you have fasted roughly. I used to arrange the army in the salah. Oh, oh in, in the thinking. <laughs> I don't know the statement. So, uh, huh? Allah mm-hmm. mm-hmm. I don't know how uh, uh, scholars have mentioned or spoken about this. You know, these kinds of examples where you have that type of example there, it would not be an example that goes against the general principles of anything. The scholars would say, even if that occurred, that occurred to Umar, and that could be because of battle, it's something significant and something of great importance and something of great danger. And those kinds of things are difficult to perhaps remove out of your head anyway. So the scholars would perhaps mention some points along that line, but that wouldn't be an indication that therefore certain things you're allowed to carry on thinking about them. It would not be in opposition to any of the principles in any way. There's lots of examples like that where you might find one of the companions did something that appears to be in opposition to what we're saying with everything. But it's not in reality. It could be a specific circumstance, jihad and the battle and the, the prayer, uh, uh, Salat al-Khawf in the, in the middle of battle and companions, they used to be praying and sometimes the arrow comes and hits them in the leg. And before maybe they were injured in the battle and the blood was coming out from this cut here, this cut here, blood was coming out and they are praying. They are severe situations. So perhaps, you know, sometimes the scholars may mention that's just something out of the uh, conversation as a whole. Anybody else? All right, we'll conclude upon that for today then. And inshallah ta'ala, we'll do the next chapter. Qul a'udhu bi rabbil falaq. Next week at the same time, 7.30 p.m. inshallah ta'ala. وصلى الله على نبينا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه وسلم